Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from the Gospel of John. In a sermon titled, See the Light, Pastor Stephen looks at the story of the man born blind. What caused this man's blindness? His sin? His parents' sin? The answer may surprise you. We'll answer that question and more today as we dive into John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So Stephen, here we have a scene where Jesus and his disciples pass a blind man on the street, and his disciples ask a question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So my question to you is, what in the Jewish faith led them to believe that the man's blindness was caused by sin? Yeah, that's a a fair question. And I think when we look at the Old Testament, we see God in various places commanding Israel to obey his law, and if not, there will be consequences. For example, if we look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, he says, you shall not make for yourself any carved image, you shall not bow down to it, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's Exodus 20, uh, verse 5. Now, that... uh, is repeated over and over again in the in the Old Testament, where God will uh, d- deal punishment to those who uh, are lawbreakers, not just mm-hmm. instantly, but also generationally, as we heard there, that the mm-hmm. sins of the father will impact the generations to come. Now, the New Testament explains a little bit what that means, but I, I don't want to miss the fact that we now, though we are not Jewish, still believe in the same principle of immediate cause and effect, sin and punishment. Mm-hmm. Most of us believe in our heart of hearts, in our responses to things that go wrong in my, in our lives, uh, what did I do to deserve this? Mm. Um, and whether we say that out loud or we just ponder it, we are aware of our sins so clearly, even the small things, and when something bad happens to us, we instantaneously draw a connection to bad things that we've done. Maybe it's a large sin, maybe you cheated on your taxes, or you cheated on your spouse, or you purposefully ran a red light in order not to be late, and someone else got in a car accident, whatever it might be, we understand cause and effect. And so, uh, no matter what principles these uh, the disciples are leaning on from their Jewish uh, faith that Uh, leads them to ask this question, just naturally, as humans, we probably would ask the same question. This is a question of karma, and and there is a natural inclination we have to believe in karma. We do believe in karma, and 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 so let me ask you this. I mean, is it possible this man's blindness was caused by sin? I mean, are our sufferings sometimes caused by our sin? Uh, again, a fair question. And yeah. I would say, based on the information that we have in this passage about this man, the answer is no. His blindness could not have been caused by sin mm-hmm. or the sin of his parents. Um, we see Jesus clearly articulate, this isn't what's going on here. This isn't mm-hmm. cause and effect, sin and punishment. 
Um, and the truth is that that's the case for many of our uh, many of our poor, like the, the bad things that go on in our life. They're not necessarily directly linked to sin. In mm-hmm. Luke chapter 13, Jesus is having this conversation, uh, and it, it, it's a conversation about repentance, and this is what he says, Luke 13, beginning in the first verse, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans, whose mm-hmm. blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? In other words, they were persecuted by uh, the Romans, and they were then, their blood was mingled with sacrifices, which in the Jewish faith meant that they were unclean, right? Jesus responds to his own question and says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Hmm. Or, he continues on, those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Hmm. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is here confirming that sometimes bad things happen, and it's not directly linked to that person's sin or family sin Mm -hmm. um, down the line. Right now, we do have to be careful because we know very clearly that sin has natural consequences. Hmm. Right? If you uh, break the speed limit uh, and you don't get caught, you may feel like there are no natural consequences. But if you get caught, you deserve it. If you run a stop sign and you get caught and you have to pay a fine, that you deserve that. Right? And and of course, sin. Uh, leads to consequences that cause problems. And now we know that there are generational implications to certain types of sin. Uh, For Mm -hmm. example, alcohol abuse, uh, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, Mm. those have generational consequences. Um, So the, the answer to the question, could this man's blindness have been caused by sin, is no. But can our sin cause suffering in our own lives, in the lives of others, in the lives of our children? Absolutely, 100%. Hmm. So in this case, though, Jesus says it's, it's not that. Um, why, what is the reason Jesus gives for this man's blindness? Yeah, and that comes in uh, John 9, verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Hmm. And that's a really hard thing for us to understand, uh, because uh, this man has not lived a particularly normal life, Mm -hmm. uh, and most likely in this time period has suffered significantly. They probably did not have very much, if any, schooling at all, was probably mocked and ridiculed and went hungry for many nights. His parents were probably... um, They experienced some suffering because they had a child with special needs. Um, There was a lot of suffering going on in this person's story and in the story Mm -hmm. of those connected to him. And we know that he was well-known by his neighbors, which means he was probably out uh, out in, in public begging for most of his life. Uh, at the mercy of those who walked past him. That's a that's a really hard way to live. Mm-hmm. And uh, for Jesus to say this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, there it kind of makes us recoil a little bit. Seriously, yeah. God, this is what is, is the purpose of his suffering uh, is for God's work to be displayed in him. 
Hmm. So I think what we have to see here is the the um, idea that God is using things that have gone wrong mm-hmm. uh, in order to bring glory to himself, to reveal more of himself. And as we've said throughout our study of the Gospel of John, Jesus' signs are windows into the kingdom of God, the way that things should be, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection begin the process of remaking creation into. And so here we get a picture of what life in the kingdom looks like. Uh, Life before the kingdom looks like blindness and suffering, but with Jesus and following Jesus and living in the kingdom of God, it looks like bringing sight to the blind, which is a common Mm. Old Testament analogy for uh, the Messiah. Yeah. Well, to clarify then, let's just make sure we're clear about this one sort of theological point. Did God cause this man to be blind? Oh, yeah, theological and uh, also grammatical, because cause is kind of a tricky word here, hmm. right? Um, we know without a doubt that God's hand is in all creative processes, including the creation of, of humans through in their mother's womb, right? Like, God is at work still in that process, but... Um, God does not author sin. He is not the one who creates sin sin in the world, nor sin in our hearts. Um, and I would say what Scripture points us to is the fact that sin has, has touched every part of creation. Uh, sin has twisted the processes that God has ordained for life to happen. And so that would include a twisting of the process of mm. the forming of a human in its mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And so God did not cause that process to go wrong and, mm-hmm. and cause this, this man to be born blind. Um, it happened because of sin's corruption of creation. God is not the author of that sin, mm-hmm. um, but he is here interacting with that sin. Yeah, I and mean, that's super important to, to you know, make sure we're clear about. And so you mentioned in your sermon that God uses sin sinlessly. Yes. And uh, what does that mean? Yeah, this was a, a, one of my seminary professor's phrases, God uses sin <clears throat> sinlessly. Um, and I think we have good biblical evidence for this. Paul writes in Romans that all uh, God uses all things, works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I think the key is all things there. Um, knowing that good things, bad things, joy, suffering, success, pain, heartbreak are all things, and God uses them for good somehow, right? Yeah. And, and we we have we have more um, instances of this in Scripture in, in the Old Testament in Genesis. Uh, we see God using sin sinlessly. God did not cause Joseph's brothers to envy him. God did not cause them to capture him, beat him up, sell him into slavery. That was their own sin in their own hearts. Mm, right. God did not cause Potiphar's wife to try and sexually assault Joseph or falsely accuse him and have him thrown in, uh, the, in, the, in the prison there in Egypt. That was Potiphar's wife's sin. That was her own sin. Mm-hmm. But God uses all those things in order to direct uh, Joseph to the place where he can influence Pharaoh and effectively uh, secure the survival of all of Egypt and his own family, the people of God. God uses what we would call secondary causes mm-hmm. in order to achieve his purpose, right? And a secondary cause being uh, something that is done 
by someone else or something else in order to accomplish his direct purpose. So instead of just picking up Joseph and making him the second in command to Pharaoh, mm-hmm. God works all of these little <clears throat> in- encounters and and unfortunately sad things, the the outworking of sin God still weaves into the story of Joseph so that Joseph can be at Pharaoh's right hand so that he can see the coming famine and and secure the grain so that when his brothers arrive to get the grain, he can tell them what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah, again, super important pastorally when... When bad things happen to families, you know, a child gets sick or, or whatever it might be, I think there's this, this maybe hyper-Calvinism that says, well, that was according to his plan, that your child got sick or, or whatever. It, but I think that's, that's not a fair reading of it, that God would never, uh, you know, cause cancer to happen in your child, but that the world is sinful and it's broken, and this was a consequence that God used that. For, for good, but he wouldn't have caused that to happen. Correct. Yeah. And we're getting, so we're getting into this, this uh, layer of providence that we see uh, that is hard for us as humans to understand because we exist within linear time. So if God knows all things are going to happen, then he must have known that I, for example, as a five-year-old would be diagnosed with cancer. He knew right. that. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. Um, and therefore, he has to figure out and scramble somehow to make it effective so that when someone in our church, for example, right now, just found out that they have a tumor in their spinal column, they can come to me and say, hey, I want to talk to you about survivorship and what it looks like to to be a cancer patient and struggle yes. with that, right? Like, it's hard for us to understand that those events exist in linear time for us, mm-hmm. and God is outside of linear time, and so cause and effect don't exist in the same relationship for him. So it's possible for him not to suddenly react and have to scramble, oh no, there's this sin, i got to figure out how to use it, but to have woven the 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 nature of sins outworking in creation into the story that is somehow redeemed by God. It's so hard for us to understand. Right. Uh, but the the trust is that God does not author sin, does not uh, okay sin, does not give us the green light to sin, but because of sin's effects and how it corrupts our own hearts, our own selves, and all of creation around us, God has woven our destructive sinfulness into the story of redemption mm-hmm. in his perfect way. Yeah. And then this is really important stuff because we want to preserve God's character in in the middle of all the things that are, you know, going wrong in the world right now. For actually. sure. For sure. All right. So Jesus says something in this passage that uh, seems uh, kind of obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he says, night is coming when no one can work. What does he mean by that? Yeah, John, as we've seen, uses these uh, motifs throughout his gospel to help us understand the difference between uh, the the world that existed uh, when Jesus was doing ministry and the kingdom that Jesus is initiating. And so we see the light and dark as a motif throughout the Gospel of John. And here, what we see at play is Jesus opening the eyes of the people to his light. 
through this working of a miracle, these signs, um, like windows into the kingdom. Mm. Imagine being out in the dark and coming up to a house where the lights are on inside. You see the window, through the window, Mm. um, a beautiful picture of, let's say it's snowy outside and it's warm inside. You can understand the warmth and the comfort through the light of the window. Uh, what Jesus is saying here is at a certain point, there, the light won't be in the world anymore. It will be night. Mm. Um, and that is Jesus explaining, uh, although in veiled terms and through an analogy, that he will suffer, he will be crucified, and he will die. He will no longer be a part of the, the world as it exists. Mm. And so what he's saying is we have to, like we, me and the disciples in his terminology, we have to be showing people the kingdom while the light is still here, because the light is going to go away, and eventually it's going to be hard, uh, harder than it is when the light is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus said a lot of things that were veiled and and maybe difficult for his disciples to understand. Did they expect him to suffer the way he did? No, uh, not at all. Even though, like you said, he says on multiple occasions, um, even even sometimes not quite so veiled. Like he says, we're going to have to go to Jerusalem so that the Son of Man may be handed over, right? Mm -hmm. The Son of Man must suffer and die and rise again on the third. Like, these are clear things Jesus says, but... The, the expectation of the Messiah, the expectation of someone who is victorious, a mm. leader worth following, like, it just it's doesn't jive with uh, someone who would uh, suffer and die. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. And that's why everyone leaves after he is crucified, right? The disciples, they go, they go back home, they go back to fishing, the mm. women are all upset, everybody's crying and, and, and uh, really brokenhearted not not it's not just that they lost their friend their their closest uh teacher ally this man who worked miracles like they yeah they're they're crying because of that they're disappointed because of that for sure but uh you know the the hopes of generations of people rested on this uh nazarene Naz, this man from nazareth and to see it all get flushed down the toilet they were so disappointed. Mm. Do you think that people today, this is an obstacle uh, for believing in Jesus, that, he, that, that we have a Messiah that suffered and died? Is that something that people think, I just can't get behind this? I, you know, it's possible, I'm sure. Um, I think mm. the, the, bigger, the, the bigger struggle in that is for people to believe that it actually happened. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure most... Uh, reasonable, thoughtful people would be willing to say, yeah, I'm sure Jesus was a good teacher, uh, and he, you know, said a few of the wrong things, and he upset a few of the wrong people, and he was probably crucified, like most criminals during the the Roman Empire were crucified. So yeah, mm-hmm. like, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the idea of him doing it for them, the idea of him overcoming that and rising from the dead, like, that doesn't quite May, there's there's cognitive dissonance between the whole course of human history mm. and what's happening. So some there has to be a lie somewhere. Right, and I think for right. most people, the lie is in the end of Jesus's story. Right. Well, I mean, the fact that our Savior suffered is a, is a big thing for us, um, and we suffer. So how does Jesus meet us in our suffering? Um, yeah, this this works in in many different ways for. Uh, different seasons of life, for sure. You know, it, when you're in the midst of suffering, 
um, one of the things that I, that I've always experienced and, and I've seen from other people is this incredible sense of loneliness and isolation. Mm. Uh, as you're suffering, it feels like no one understands, no one cares. Even if there are people surrounding you, uh, they just don't they they don't get it and they can't get it. And I, I think in that isolation, in that loneliness, what we see is that uh, you you're actually um, understood by a, a God who suffered. Mm. Um, it's not a foreign concept to him. It would be it would be different if we saw Jesus as as just a role model. Okay, mm. well, well, he doesn't understand what it's like when uh, a marriage falls apart or when a child uh, is is sick and, and dies. When when your parents die, uh, you know, when you lose a job that you've worked at for years, when you can't afford to buy a house again this year, right? The suffering. Um, isn't understood by a, an all-perfect, all-omniscient, powerful, distant God. But the fact that God draws close to us, lived exactly like us, tempted in every way, and suffered, communicates mm-hmm. understanding. Um, I think also, then, in retrospect, after a period of suffering is over, being able to look back and, and realize that God brought people into your life, situations, cared for you, ministered to you, saw you through it. Um, Jesus meets us in our suffering, and and Scripture talks to us about us actually being united to Jesus in our suffering. Mm. Um, And and the language of Scripture communicates that uh, putting your faith in Jesus, proclaiming Him uh, as uh, the one who died for your sins, who has purchased your seat in eternity, the the filling of the Holy Spirit accompanies that. And so the, the Holy Spirit dwells within you at that point, and, and the function of the Holy Spirit is to unite you to Christ. Mm-hmm. And it, it's in that u- union that He begins to make you look more like Christ, able to die into sin and to live as you were called to live, live perfectly like Jesus lived. And part of that function is taking suffering and making it uh, redeemed, uh, mm. using suffering to make you uh, more like Jesus. The Bible uses analogies like uh, refining, burning away the excess, the non-essential, the unusable. Um, and that's, again, not something that you walk up to someone who has just uh, been diagnosed with right, COVID right. and say, hey, that's okay. don't be upset because this right. is God refining you. Um, it's a it's an understanding that takes place uh, through the the timing of God. L- most often, I feel like looking back or in in a period of of peace where you can look at your suffering and say, "Yeah, I see how God could be using this." In the moment, the mm. union with Christ is what gives you strength to be able to push through to survive, mm-hmm. to cling to him and to the cross, uh, knowing that he understands. Um, and, you know, as we cry out to God in suffering, as we, as we pray and ask for relief, uh, Scripture tells us that the Spirit intercedes to God the Father for us with groans and utterances, uh, communicating what we can't even put words to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, uh, uh, you know, this is one thing that we, we're talking about more and more, is that Jesus' death and resurrection, union with Christ, brings us into the relationship of the Trinity, and hmm. and that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the notion that 
there there can be meaning in suffering is is comforting. I mean, it's it's not you're not suffering for no reason. It's not senseless. I mean, it could be senseless pain, but God can use everything that we go through, even the suffering, for 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 our own good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the story is about a a man who's physically blind, but there are some parallels with the idea of spiritual blindness. And you said those those themes are in in John. Um, how are non-believers blind, and what can we do to help them see the light? <clears throat> so the blindness of uh, unbelief is, uh, first of all, not just limited to non-believers, mm-hmm. but the reality is that we all struggle with the after effects of, of being blind. Um, you know, there are so many times in our lives where it might seem easy to just... Uh, see Jesus, see the cross, and follow Him. But the the truth is, there are all these side paths and side journeys that we stumble down because we think we're seeing clearly and we're not. Uh, now, in the in the holistic sense, someone who doesn't have faith in Jesus uh, doesn't know that they're in the dark. In, mm-hmm, in John's mm-hmm. language, you stumble around. You try to find some answers. You're trying to. You know, use your hands to figure out the shape of a room, maybe where the mm. door is, the the path through all the the obstacles, whatever it might be. Right, that's the analogy, and and the real world connection to that is you got to try and figure out how to make everything okay, mm. um, and you have heard all these other people telling you, here's how life works. You got to get a good job. You got to get first of all, you got to get an education. Got to get a good job. You got to find a good spouse. You got to get uh, have good kids. You got, they got to go to school. You got to secure some retirement. You got to make an impact on your field, whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And then you got to retire and be able to travel and do whatever you want. Like that is the light communicated by the world. And it's just more darkness. Hmm. And, and the question, how do we help them see the light? Um, it's so easy for us to get into this idea that we have to produce light for them. We have to uh, tell them the gospel, and we have to we have to say, uh, you know, here's the problem. Your your sin is the problem, and and we've got the solution. Or we have to create a, a good picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and that's the light. Like, hey, my kids actually do obey, and and mm-hmm. my my job uh, kind of ebbs and flows, and I'm okay with it. Like, it's not a big deal. But even in the question, how do we help them see the light? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to show them Jesus. Because he is the light. Um, as he says in John, I am the light of the world. There's no way for us to add any kind of light or brightness to what he has done, who he is, and what he's doing. And so instead of producing our own light, we have to, we have to hold up a mirror, hmm. uh, the mirror reflecting Jesus to them. Uh, and we have plenty of examples and exhortations in Scripture that tell us how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see loving our neighbor as ourselves. We see being um, compassionate, bearing one another's burdens, um, you know, entering into relationships of uh, depth and meaning, right? Seeking the welfare of the city. Um, mm-hmm. These are these are commands of that reflect the light of Jesus. And then, of course, uh, emanating his own character, uh, mm-hmm. being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, being faithfulness. Uh, to other people, right? These these are things that are not necessarily overtly 
talking about Jesus, but they're different than... They're real light, as opposed to the light the world tries to get us to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, of course, we want all of those things to lead to conversations where we say, what you've experienced, what you've heard me say and do, uh, it's not that's not me. That's yeah. Jesus in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talk through the gospel, through the truth of... Jesus's life, death, and resurrection as the God in flesh uh, who died and rose again for us. Uh, but again, uh, as we the saying goes, far more is caught than it is taught. Mm-hmm. And so people catch the light of Jesus coming off of you far easier and better and with more uh, desire than just straight up telling you, hey, this is what the light is. Yeah, I mean, I think we do we do well in this world if, if Christians, you know, shed a little more light, right, mm-hmm. in these, these situations. Yep. Uh, so we put a lot of emphasis on strength, you know, not appearing weak. What did the Apostle Paul mean when he said, when I am weak, he is strong? And how can that attitude encourage us to live Christ-centered lives? Yeah, this is a great follow-up to what we just talked about. I mean, being... Uh, you you know you just said hey it would be great if Christians shed a little more light in the world. It's mm-hmm. easy for us to think that means good moral strength, good mm. good decisive um, choices that are God honoring and uh, exemplary to other people. But what mm. Paul talks about here is in fact more light filled because Jesus when he came did not come in uh, strong but he came as mm. a man of sorrows acquainted with grief he came in weak and it was confusing mm. and it was hard for the people who expected strength and so what what Paul is talking about uh, this is from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 he's talking about this thorn in the flesh this problem that he asked God to take away. Three times he prayed that it would uh, be removed. Um, and he says in Second uh, Corinthians 12, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about my thorn in the flesh that it should leave me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul continues, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, This turns the entire understanding of strength and weakness that our culture uh, Mm. calls out to us on its head, because (laughs) we uh, try to hide all that stuff. We try to... Um, you know, protect ourselves from hardship. We try to do everything we can not to be persecuted. We work hard for security to avoid calamity. And what Paul is saying here, in the midst of those things, what we are saying is, I don't have to worry because of how strong uh, God is for me. And it's not like, okay, if if I need 100% strength to get through this weakness, and I've only, I'm weak, I've only got 10%, then God mm. makes up the other 90% and I get through. Mm. Uh, what Paul is saying is, I recognize that God has done 100% of everything, and I am only here and continuing to live and have good conversation and love my neighbors, and care for my family, and sacrifice myself, my time for others, because he's done 100%. And so if I am made to look weak, if I suffer hardships, uh, all that means is people go, how are you still here? The answer is Jesus. 
So I'm okay mm. not hiding the weakness. I'm okay with hardship and persecution and calamity because it's in those things that Paul the apostle, that Stephen the pastor or Stephen the father, Stephen the husband is diminished so that Jesus united to Stephen mm-hmm. shines out more. So that looks like, I think, practically, when you have uh, friendships with folks who are not believers, when you have coworkers or a boss or other parents at PTA or roommates, whomever it might be, that are not believers, um, part of shining the light of Jesus is not hiding those things. You know, and and uh, I think there's there's a guy in our con- in our congregation who, whenever I see, uh, and I ask, I say, "Hey, how are you doing?" He always responds with, "Better than I deserve," um, hmm. and uh, like I think that's great, um, but it's become this kind of uh, you know facade of humility that's not hmm. really real because I know what's going on in his life and it's not good, <laughs> it's not better. Is he listening um, right now? <laughs> I. I I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, you know who yeah. you are. Um, exactly. I, I talk to him about it all the time. I tell him, you got to right. you gotta just be honest, you know? Right. Like, how how rarely do we tell people what's really happening when they talk to us? We hide all that stuff. We hide the mm. hardship. We hide the persecution. We hide the, the weakness. We avoid it because we don't want to look weak. Mm. Uh, but what Paul says is it's really an opportunity for Jesus' strength uh, to sustain you, to shine through, to reveal itself as a sign, a, a window into the kingdom breaking into the world. I think one thing that's clear, if anybody listening to this podcast or listen, listening to the sermons, going to our church, have realized that um, living as a Christ follower looks really different than living as a non-Christ follower in this world. <laughs> For sure. And the, yeah. the rub there, the tension, uh, makes it hard. And um, yeah. that's why you got to have a, a faithful uh, community to walk yes. through uh, things like this with, um, wherever you're at. You know, you got to focus less on the right job. You got to focus less on the right school system, on the mm-hmm. ability to afford a house or not, and focus on a community. Uh, a group of faithful followers who are weak, who care less about what they look like and more about Jesus. Mm. Um, that's that's the focal point of uh, of your life. I, I would say that would be my recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we follow Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, and it's uh, uh, not easy, but it's much better to do it in community. For sure. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen, for your time again today. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. The title of Stephen's sermon is See the Light. It's part of our sermon series from the Gospel of John. You can find that sermon and all our sermons in this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We're really glad that you're tuning into these podcasts, and we hope these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can go directly to gracesouthbay.com and submit your request using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. 
We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.